0: We are jumping back into our series in the book of Ephesians, and this series is a, a, a series on the kingdom of God. We're looking at the kingdom of God, and it's going to take place in three sections, and we're in the first section of that series still, and the title of this section is Kingdom Kids. Today, the sermon is entitled Saved, Sealed, Delivered, right? I'm not going to sing it, but Saved, Sealed, Delivered. Ephesians chapter 1, uh, we're going to read from verse 3 all the way through verse 14, so we can see our verse as it, as it sets in its context. And I'll be reading uh, primarily from the Christian Standard Bible, the CSB. Ephesians 1, verse 3. Blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavens in Christ. For he chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy holy. Blameless in love before Him, He predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ for Himself, according to the good pleasure of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace that He lavished on us in the Beloved One. And in Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace that He richly poured out on us with all wisdom. And understanding. And he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure that he purposed in Christ as a plan for the right time to bring everything together in Christ, both things in heaven and things on earth in him. And in him we also, we've received an inheritance because we were predestined according to the plan of the one who works out everything in agreement with the purpose of his will. So that we who have already put our hope in Christ, we might bring praise to his glory. In him, here's our passage today, in him you also, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and when you believed. And the Holy Spirit is the down payment of our inheritance until the redemption of the possession to the praise of his glory. Church, this is the word of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your Holy Spirit. And this morning, God, we're expectant not just to learn from your word, but to grow by the power of your Holy Spirit in truth. Pray, God, that you would be our teacher today that you would give us understanding, that you, Lord, would make application in our hearts, in our minds, in our lives, to the praise of your glory. We give all praise, honor, and glory to Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, there's a lot of information And these 11 verses we just read, a lot of truth, a lot of truth about who God is and uh, who Jesus is. And there's a lot of truth about who we are in Christ. And we know these things because God has given us His Word. He's given us Scripture. In our text today, we see that God has not only given us His Word, He says that He has given us His Spirit. Now, in light of everything that is true, about Jesus, and in light of everything that is true about us who are in Jesus, in light of these things, God has given us His Word, and He's given us His Spirit. His Word is truth, and His Spirit is our experience, or allows us to experience His truth. So we have His Word, and we have the reality, the experience of His Word. This is significant because our lives are shaped by words and experiences. And so it's vital for us to see that God has given both to us. He has given both words and an experience, His Spirit. He has sealed us, our passage says, with His Spirit when we respond to His Word. The Spirit connects us with the Word of God, keeps us in, holds us in as sons, as kingdom kids, sons and daughters. Now, sometimes words and experiences with other people, not God's words and not our experience with God and with the Word through the Holy Spirit, but our experiences in daily life, the words of others and experiences with other people, sometimes those things can hijack our connection with God's Word. It can hijack our connection with our experiencing the truth about who we are in Christ and who God is. It's hard for us to live our lives and not think about ourselves in terms of what other people say to us or say about us. It's, it's hard to shut that out, so to speak. It's also hard to think about our life apart from what other people have done to us or apart from what other people fail to do for us. It's hard to live life without letting the opinions of others affect us. It's also hard to deal with rejection, isn't it? It can be difficult to rightly deal with praise also. Not just rejection, but, but praise can throw us off. See, words and experiences greatly influence how we think about ourselves. And these words and experiences, whether they're positive or negative, they, they shape us. They, can, they, can, they form us, in a sense. They can shape the way we think. They shape the way we feel, certainly. And they even affect and shape the way that we act. These words and experiences affect how we live and even what we live for. Our our goals are affected by the way people speak to us and act toward us. It can shape our identity. That's what we've been talking about so far in the book of Ephesians, is, is our identity as kingdom kids. And what we mean by that is how we think and feel about ourselves, which affects how we think and feel and act toward others and God. And ultimately. Others' words, the words from other people and our life experiences with others end up shaping everything about us, how we think, how we act, how we live, and even what we live for, what what our goals are. They're set based on who we think we are, based on what we think we're capable of, based on who we think we can impress. It's especially bad, especially in my case, because I tend to be self-absorbed, but by the grace of God. And we do. We tend to have a strong self-focus. And so we tend to see and think about life. And we tend to see and think about other people and and situations in life and and goals in life even. We handle these things all through this paradigm of how does that affect me? How is that relationship going to affect me? How is that decision going to affect me? Because we're self-absorbed, I'll just lump you in with me. (laughs) But by the grace of God... Scripture continually confronts us with the person of God over and over. God is higher than us. He's greater than us. He's better than us. He created us. God, upon whom we are dependent, upon whom uh, we are contingent, we're subordinate to him. Scripture confronts us with the idea that we should live for God's glory and stop living for our own glory. It's it's the tension held in Scripture. And because we do tend to be self-focused, And we do tend to desire to be pleased with ourselves. We often think of ourselves as better than we actually are. When in fact, Scripture reveals us to be, apart from the grace of God and apart from the work of Jesus Christ in our life, only wicked. That we're only capable of being self-focused. And the more we know about God, the more we realize that we perhaps are more wicked and lost than we ever might have imagined apart from Christ. And the more honest we are, the more we realize that Scripture shows us to be less important, even and less necessary than many of us often would even ever dream. It's good and it's necessary for us to see in Scripture that only God is good. I know it's just got heavy in here. So. But when our self-focus and our desire for self-glory is not recognized, which is why I'm. Of making a big deal of it, when it's not recognized and repented of, which means turned from, we have to acknowledge it, acknowledge that it's a problem, and turn from it. When our self-focus and desire for glory is not recognized and repented of, then we end up living for praise, approval, and glory from others. And we seek after the praise of people, we pander to the cheap compliments that we can attract from others. We end up living for the approval of others from from one loving comment to the next. Some of us might live from one, uh, you know, Instagram like to the next or uh, from one retweet to the next. Oh, people like me. Oh, people like what I feel. I feel clever. I feel relevant, you know. And we live for that. There's a form of gratification we get in there. And our, our life can even change course as we see new opportunities to receive praise from other people. And the reason we do this is because words are powerful. Words are powerful. Words are so powerful that when we feel affirmed, positive words can affect the way we feel. It's hard to talk ourselves out of feeling bad, but when we receive something affirming said to us from someone, it can change the way we feel in a second, can't it? It's power. There's power in words. And some of us live from one to the next, one positive word to the next. Words can totally change our mood and attitude. And the effects of words can be so strong that we might change our life in pursuit of more affirmation from others. And some of us, when we're frequently affirmed, if you're like me, I I become blindly arrogant when I'm frequently affirmed, but by the grace of God. Some affirmation makes us feel good, but a lot of affirmation makes us feel awesome. And we start to believe only the positive things we hear from others. And we might avoid honest truth and seek only flattering reviews. We choose to believe we're only and always good. And, and our culture loves reviews. We come by this honestly. Uh, positive reviews and negative reviews, they can make or break a product on Amazon, for example. It's interesting how, like, if you ever wander into the dark world of the comment section on YouTube, like, people feel like they have to read the comments before they state their own opinion about the video. It's like, it's important. Reviews and other people's opinions affect the way that we think and, and shape us, informing us. And the problem with this life pattern of seeking the opinions of others is that the opinions of others are fleeting and temporary. People's opinions change. People's willingness to give a compliment may change. People might be harder to please the next time. People are always comparing us to others. Flattery is 100% linked to our good performance, and so our ability to garner a compliment is only as good as our most recent performance. And when we don't repent of our self-focus and our desire for glory and for the elusive compliment and approval from others, we start to live in insecurity. We become insecure. We're we're on shaky foundation, shaky ground. It seems like there's always someone better out there, and we're competing with them. There there seems to always be someone who's more worthy of compliment, and so we have to kind of try to one-up them. Or maybe they're more worthy of notice and praise. Or maybe there's someone who's better looking, and that's kind of affected your, your ability to get a compliment. Maybe there's always someone that has better things or more resources or is more creative. And when we live our life for praise and recognition, we find ourselves growing more insecure as we notice the gifts and blessings of others around us. And we're shaken when someone comes along who receives more praise than we do. We grow defensive and envious of others' strengths and gifts. And we scramble to feel better about ourselves as our identity is shaken, and we crave the words, and we crave the experiences from others that can build us back up so that we can counter the insecurity that wells up within us. Worse than the insecurity that comes along with our need for affirming words from others is the devastation that comes along with words and experiences of disapproval, Some words and experiences build us up. Others can destroy us. And when words and actions from others, when they're those of disapproval, we can be deeply wounded because we're no longer struggling for approval. That's been settled. We're disapproved of. Now we're experiencing these deep wounds and defeat. And what we're wrestling with is the temptation to live under the identity of not good enough or under the identity of rejected or never good enough or too old, or irrelevant, or not creative enough, becomes our identity if we're not very careful. Words and experiences of disapproval from others have a very special effect on the insecure person who longs for affirmation from others. And when our identity is dependent on affirmation, then words and experiences of disapproval and rejection can be absolutely devastating, carrying a much stronger punch than experiences of approval even. They can break us down. And if we hear words of disapproval and experiences of disapproval very often, if it becomes a pattern in our life, or if we just start, that's all we're picking up on. Everywhere we look, there's a comment about age, and oh, well, that's me, you know. Or there's a comment about that, well, that's me. What happens is we form our identity around that. We start believing that. And we have a hard time believing anything that's affirming, even when it is appropriate for words of affirmation, even what the Lord may say about you. You might have a hard time believing that because there's a chorus that's singing the opposite of that out in culture around you. And when our identity is dependent on approval from others, we'll always be just one discouraging word away from feeling shattered and destroyed. And so to recap all of this, when our identity is dependent on the words and experiences from others, eventually both words and experiences of affirmation and words and experiences of disapproval, both affirmation and disapproval will bring about insecurity in our lives. And the world is full of insecure people. Our culture is built upon the fact that we're all insecure. Words and experiences from others are powerful, and formative. They're powerful because we're either arrogant enough to feel we deserve them, or deep down we know that we don't. And and either extreme forms an identity that is not in Christ. Either extreme forms an identity that's insecure. Apart from God, we have to see our tendencies in this. However, here's the good news of where we've been in the book of Ephesians. However, as we've been exploring the crazy love of God in Ephesians 1, we've learned that we are radically loved by God. And this love heals us from our desperate need for approval. It satisfies our longing for more love and acceptance from others. We're satisfied. We don't need the love and acceptance of others to know who we are. The love of God satisfies our insecurities, satisfies our fear, and we we start to realize that what God says about us and what God has done for us, the words and experiences of God in our life through Jesus is better and more true than what others say about us. It is better and more true than the experiences that we've had of disapproval. And God wants us to understand His love and walk in His love as children. That's the argument that the Apostle Paul has been systematically laying out so far in Ephesians 1. God wants us to be convinced of His love for us in Christ. He wants us to be convinced of the realities of Ephesians 1. Not so we would know them, but so that we would live in that reality. That would be our identity. That forms who we are. We've seen this so far. Quickly, just to recap. In Christ... Ephesians 1 verse 2, it says that we are radically loved children of God. Radically loved before the beginning of time. God has sent his perfect son as a sacrifice for us, his rebellious kids. That is a radical love of a loving father. We see that. We also see that we're chosen by God. Verse 4 shows us that. We're chosen before we were born. God chose you before you could be disappointing. God chose you before you could think you were awesome okay? Before we could do good things, before we could do bad things, God chose you in Christ. That means that God didn't choose you because you were awesome. God chose you because he's awesome. We're chosen by God. That liberates us and frees us. Our identity as chosen isn't based on your last performance in life. We also see in verse 5 that we're adopted into his family as God's own children. He brings us near. Listen, this is ridiculous. God brings me near. In my rebellion, God found me. In my utter arrogance, God found me. Self-absorbed, God found me in that. Insecure, longing for praise, living for the approval of others. That's where God found me. And God brought me in. He, He went after that. He went after me. And God has been over these years, He's been teaching me to be still, be still, and know that I am God. You're not God. The approval of others isn't God. Billy, be still. And the love of the Father again and again. I blow it. And he's just like, brings me in. Doesn't push me away. Brings me in again and again. I am his approved, well-loved son. We're adopted into the family of God. We're loved like children. He brings us into the intimacy of his immediate family. Ephesians 1 and verse 3 has also shown us that we're given every spiritual blessing. God's not a stingy God, right? He's not like, you know, he's got five things, so he gives you one and you two, and oh, you're good, I'll give you three. That's not how God rolls. It says he's given us every spiritual blessing in verse 3. My Father's spirit is in me. Let God minister that to you today. My Father's strength is for me. My identity is my Father's, it identifies me now. My hope is in him, my joy, my peace. It's who I am. Verse 7 We see that we're set free from slavery to sin, and we are forgiven of our sin, and we are made right with God. Listen, if you're in your mind, you identify as an addict, listen, you are not an addict if you're in Christ. God has set you free from addiction. He has broken that chain. That is not who you are. You're a child of God, and He has set you free to walk in freedom, and yes, it's hard, Yeah, it's real work, but don't forget who you are. Don't forget whose you are. Verse 8, we saw that we are given wisdom and understanding. Man, Lord knows I need that. Verse 11 and 14, we have an inheritance in Jesus from God. See, the Word of God tells us these things, and we believe them by faith. But every day, I'll be honest with you, I think it's true of each of us, we struggle with faith we struggle. Even people who knew Jesus in his day and saw him heal, there's a story of a guy who comes to Jesus, and he's like, my daughter's dying. Can you heal him? Will you heal her? I believe you can. And Jesus, he's like, do you believe that? You believe I'm the Son of God? You believe that? And he's like, well, I believe, but you know, but help me in my unbelief. I think so often that's our approach with God, and and that's okay. We come to God not always having the fullness of belief. We don't always feel like these promises are true. We don't always feel loved or empowered. These truths don't always seem to be true. They don't always seem to be as obvious as we would wish they would be sometimes. We hear this kind of stuff on Sunday, but then by Wednesday, we're like, wait, what was he talking about again? You know, like we just feel distance from it. It's because we face a constant flow of words and experiences that oppose the Word of God and the experiences of God and the Holy, of the Holy Spirit in us. We live in a culture that is loud and busy pulling us into experiences, broadcasting words. And so this is what our passage is zeroing in on. It's what it's focusing on today. Don't miss this. Wake him up if he's sleeping right now. (laughs) This is what the gift of the Holy Spirit does. Because God is loving and kind. He's given us a gift of the Holy Spirit to convict us, to convince us, to remind us. He's always with us. And to assure us of these things. He's done for us in Christ. Our passage, verses 13 and 14, it says, in Him you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit when you've heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and when you believe. The Holy Spirit is the down payment of our inheritance until the redemption of the possession to the praise of His glory. Now, anyone can read those words, and they can choose to believe them or not. But see, God's kids have been given His Holy Spirit. Therefore, God's kids, we read those words and we know them to be true, don't we? We read those words and and, and there's something more true about those words because the Holy Spirit is at work at us, convincing us of who we are in Christ. Only God's kingdom kids can find hope and joy in the promises of God. God's family gets excited about the family blessings and the family inheritance because we're part of the family. We're, We're in that. This is what the Holy Spirit does in us. He affirms and confirms the reality of God and God's Word and God's promises and God's salvation and God's power in those of us who have the Holy Spirit. That is in you, Christian, has been sealed in you, our passage says. But here's the other thing I've noticed in my life that the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit can quiet our doubt and quiet our disbelief. He can quiet our doubt and quiet our disbelief. He convinces us of the realities of God's kingdom. And he affirms our place in his household as his children. The Spirit can sanctify even our emotions that God's put in each of us. The Bible says that, that the Spirit leads us into all truth. He also reveals the lies that we fall into. He reveals the lies that we hear. He helps us to see other people as God sees them. We are able to see other people by the power and presence of the Holy Spirit in our life as rebels and orphans who need the love of their Father. And He removes our competitive spirit by replacing it with compassion and love. We no longer feel like we're competing with the gifted people in our life for compliments. We're now able to offer compliments and offer true hope at the same time. Because we don't need those compliments anymore and above and beyond all other voices in our life, above the messages and voices and experiences that say all sorts of things to us and say all sorts of things about us, above the hurtful experiences of rejection, above painful words and experiences of disapproval even, maybe, that you've experienced, the Holy Spirit is working to convince us that we are radically loved by God, that we've been chosen by God, that we are pursued by God, redeemed by God, forgiven by God. We're adopted by God. We're empowered by God, and we are equipped by God. God has done all that, and the Holy Spirit is given to us to convince us and remind us and push us forward in the reality of those truths that are true in you right now, Christian. That is true of who you are. The Spirit is at work in you today to make this historical, biblical reality of God's plan to redeem His creation The Holy Spirit is at work in your heart to make that a reality in your life. The Holy Spirit is working right now to sweep you up in the grand reality of history that God loves the world so much that He sent His Son. We're invited into that. It's a movement we're invited into. And as we go out, we're invited by our Father out into what He's already doing. Out into what He loves to do. Look at verse 13. It says, In Him... You also were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit when you first heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation when you believed. The New Living Translation translates it this way and kind of moves the sentence around a little bit. It says, and when you believed in Christ, he identified you. See, the CSB says uh, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit. In NLT it says he identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit. Whom he promised long ago. We have been, I love those two words, we've been sealed by God in the Holy Spirit. There's a seal. We have been identified as God's by the Holy Spirit. Powerful words. It speaks directly to my insecurity and, and my need for words of approval. That gift speaks directly to that. This speaks directly to my brokenness and my past experiences of rejection. God deals with that. See, it's what happens when we're saved. It says this in our verse, when you believe, when we put our faith in Christ for salvation, we're immediately sealed. We're immediately identified in the Holy Spirit. There's no like junior Christians. It's not like you get a badge, it's like a, you know, a wana or Boy Scouts or something, right? Like, oh, you've only got four patches. I've got, you know, 18. It doesn't work that way. You've been given the whole Holy Spirit, the whole thing, the whole power, not just some future promise and you get to get on the little hamster wheel and run and run until you've logged enough miles and then he gives you something. That's not how it works. That's why we don't, te- we don't teach and preach. I don't teach and preach our junior hires. Like, hey, you're the next generation. You don't prepare yourself. It's like, dude, you're the church right now. You have the Holy Spirit right now. You don't have a junior high version of it. Now, this word sealed is a, is a powerful word powerful word. And historically, it means three things that I think are very significant to to understanding this passage, why Paul would use that word. First of all, a seal confirms something to be genuine like a king's seal, which is just uh, an impression of his unique ring into wax or plaster, saying like, no, this is, the king's approved of this or this is from the king, this is associated with the king. And without an unbroken seal, any message or object would be held highly suspect. And so a, a seal was very significant to confirm that something was genuine. The Holy Spirit is God's seal upon us that confirms that we are genuinely gods. What it says in 1 John chapter 4, This is how we know that we remain in Him and He in us. How do we know that we remain in Him and He in us? He has given us His Spirit. See, there's a true experience for the Christian that God's Spirit is in us, confirming that we are gods. We belong to gods. We are sealed by his Spirit, and we're genuinely his. It's the first thing that that word seal indicates. The second thing is a seal ensures security. There's this idea of security, just like when they found King Tut's tomb back in the 20s. They got all giddy when they went in there, and there's that plaster wall that had the next Pharaoh's seal all on it. They were like, yes, there's still going to be stuff in here. It's got the king's seal on it. This tomb has been secure, Look at our passage in verse 13 and 14. It says, He identified you as His own by giving you the Holy Spirit. The Spirit is God's guarantee, it says in the NLT. It's just like an engagement ring or, or wedding rings, securing a marriage covenant. Uh, you'll, you'll hear it asked in a wedding. So in the weddings I do, I do, I've often done this. How do you seal this covenant today? And because the couple getting married remembers nothing on their wedding day. You prompt them, you know, with rings, you know. And they go, oh yeah, with rings. And then there's, the, there's that idea that as often as you look upon these rings, remember your covenant and your vows on this day. See, the ring on the finger is the guarantee of the promises that have been made on that day. Just like the wedding ring is, is a representation, is a seal showing you, of, uh, like this, this ring means something. It means I'm not my own. I, I've given myself to someone else. I'm in a covenant relationship. Her, her thoughts and her needs her priorities are above mine in my life is what that means. That's what, a, that's what a wedding ring represents. The Spirit is a guarantee or a vow from God that we are His, that we are radically loved, radically pursued. The Spirit is God's promise that He's going to complete that good work that He's begun in us. Jude verse 24, it says, all glory to God who is able to keep you from falling away. Now listen to that. Those of you who are like, gosh, I keep falling away. I'm such a bad Christian. Listen, now all glory to God who is able to keep you from falling away and will bring you with great joy into his glorious presence without a single fault. Isn't that incredible? Who's doing the work in that, right? Who's the subject of that sentence, right? See, God's gift of the Spirit is a foretaste of the eternal life that we have with God. That work of transformation is begun in us now. It's the Holy Spirit. See, God is able to to save. He's able to sanctify. He's able to deliver you. And He's given us His Spirit as evidence of that. As the Spirit works in us, it's a foretaste. And the Spirit isn't simply God's promise. The Holy Spirit doesn't just promise eternal security. The Holy Holy Spirit guarantees eternal satisfaction as well, as our longings are subdued by the presence of God in our life. God's Spirit in us is a gift to us from God, securing salvation. We are saved by God. We're sealed by God. God is before us in salvation and He is in our salvation. He is working in us to complete something that He has started. And the Spirit is God's guarantee that no failure on your part, there's no failure on my part that can invalidate the work that God has already done. You're saved by faith. You're saved by grace. You're not saved because you're awesome. You're not saved because you're a good person. You're saved because Jesus laid His life down for you. That's the only reason you're saved. It's a finished work, our salvation is. This work is promised and guaranteed by God. And it's guaranteed in our lives by God's seal of His Spirit in us. Listen, God's going to get you there. Maybe some of you need to hear this today. Maybe you're super disappointed with your life. Maybe you're super disappointed with your relationship with God. God's going to get you there. This is a good work that He began. This is a good work that He is going to complete. God is able to deal with your drama. God's able to deal with your stupid decisions. I can testify to that because He deals with mine. God is able. And He's not just able, He's willing. He's in it. He is in you. Despite my failures, despite my disappointments, despite how disappointing I can be, despite your brokenness and striving despite your weakness, despite your identity issues, despite the high highs and the low lows of life, God has begun a good work that he has promised to complete. And you can be sure of this. How? Because he has put his spirit in you. Christian, the spirit is at work in you today to convince you that you're a child of God and that you have true hope in God regardless of what you've done. Okay, That's just the second point on seal. Jeez. Okay, so... A seal confirms something to be genuine. Uh, A seal ensures security. The third thing, a seal marks one's own possession. Just like a rancher might brand a cow, okay, which is kind of a, not not the same. That analogy breaks down real quick. (laughs) But just like a king maybe might carve his face into the pillars of the castle that he makes. That sounds a little better. God has put his spirit on us as his mark. He's marked us as his own. It says he identified you as his own by giving you a spirit. And then in verse 14, it says, he purchased us to be his own people. It says at the very end there, his own people. That's, it's, it's like an identifying mark. The fact that we're gods means that he's jealous for us. He guards us. He pursues us. We're bought with the precious blood of his son. He's forgiven us all of our debt, all of the offense, all of our arrogance, all of the drama that God's had to go through because of me and my life and my selfishness. God is, doesn't even look at that any longer. He's jealous for me. He's adopted me as a son. He's brought me close, as close as a father can bring their kid. Listen, my kids like to be close. My little Shem, dude, he likes to be right here. He, just the closeness. That's how God brings us in. And he's jealously competing with the other voices And he's jealously competing for the experiences of your life. God, by the power of his Holy Spirit, wants to lead you in all truth into Holy Spirit, biblical, supernatural experiences in life. He wants to replace disappointment with power and truth and the reality that God is in you and working with you and is being glorified through you. God jealously pursues us when we turn away from him. Second Corinthians chapter one, the Apostle Paul says this that he has identified us as his own by placing the Holy Spirit in our hearts as the first installment that the first installment that guarantees everything that he has promised us. See, when something is valuable to us, we mark it. Right? This Bible is very valuable to me. I'm not even preaching out of the New American Standard today, but this Bible is up here with me today. It it smells good. It's made out of really nice leather. I've had it for 12 years. A guy that spent hundreds of hours uh, pointing me to Jesus and helping me grow and pursuing and loving Jesus gave this to me all those years ago. It's been to the beach, the desert. It's been on, gosh, dozens of music stands and pulpits at camps and fire pits and pulpits and churches and things like that. It's valuable to me, and and I've marked it. Not in a fancy way. It's just like Sharpie with my phone number, but it says it's mine, right? <laughs> you want a Bible? Don't take that one. Take this one. I, I can go on to ChristianBook.com and get an ex- another one like this. This one's special to me. I've marked, I'll give you any Bible out of the office or out of my home office or whatever, but not this one. If, if this one goes missing, I would see it, or I'd probably smell it. I'd be like, I'd find my mark in it, and I'd be like, yeah, I'm sorry, there's a ginormous sharpie in the front, and I would claim it, and I would get it back. See, you're God's possession. That's a silly example, but it's the same truth. You're God's possession, and God is so serious about holding on to you that he's put his spirit on your heart. He's put his mark on you. You're marked by God. What more can He do but put His Spirit in you to be with you and remain in you? And so let's, let's pull it all together. I'm getting a little crazy here. Okay. <laughs> God, by the power of His Spirit that He has placed in you, if we let Him, God can and He will deal with our doubt and insecurity and shame and brokenness. That is a promise that comes along with having God in us, having the Holy Spirit in us. Our doubts, our insecurity, our brokenness, Oftentimes, all that stuff, it's tied to words and experiences from other people, aren't they? Or sometimes our doubts and insecurity and shame and brokenness, at least I'll just be honest with you in my case, it's, it's tied to my own foolishness, right? Oh, I blew it again or whatever. See, God has put his spirit in us to deal with this stuff. And God's spirit ministers the truth of God's love for us in Christ. God's spirit convinces us of the sufficiency of Christ's sacrifice, convincing us of who we are in Christ, reminding us that we're children of God, telling us again and again, and Christian, maybe today, again, the Holy Spirit is telling you, you are not that. You are a child of God. You are not in that trouble. You are well-loved, well-cared for. You are a well-nourished child of God. God's Spirit reminds us that God has chosen us and has done all necessary work to bring us into his family as his kingdom kids. And the Holy Spirit is the evidence of that, is the proof of that. Listen to how Paul puts it in Romans chapter 5, in verse 1. He says, Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done with us. Right? He's saying we don't trust what we've done, we're trusting what Christ has done. Verse 2, because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand. And we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. And we can rejoice, too, when we run into problems and trials. For we know that they help develop endurance. Verse 4, and endurance develops strength of character. And character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And this hope will not lead to disappointment, for we know how dearly God loves us, because He has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with His love. He's given us His Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with His love. I hear people say, well, "Oh gosh, you know, I'm just not excited today. I'm not whatever, you know, these emotions that we feel like. I'm not able to do that today because I don't have the, the whatever. I haven't had my coffee I don't know about that, but God's given you His Holy Spirit to fill your heart with His love. The Holy Spirit is God's proof that He's there to fill your heart. You don't have to live or minister. You don't have to treat your spouse like your, and your tank is empty. Be still and know that God is God. Know that you're a child of God, that He's put His Spirit in you. We, we function with a, a full heart of love. And so no matter what we face in life, financial hardship or anxiety or the death of a loved one or disappointment. Maybe it's rejection by others or an unfaithful spouse, illness, the effects of aging. See, regardless of what we face, we have proof and we have the power of God in us. The Holy Spirit is in our hardship. He's in our places of loss ministering the Father's love to us. He's in our financial hardship, ministering our Father's love to us. He's in those seasons of disappointment or betrayal, and he's ministering the Father's love for us. In anxiety, the Spirit is right there with us, ministering words of truth and confidence. God has gone to great lengths to ensure that we know and that we have evidence of his love and approval. And then finally, looking at verse fourteen, it says the Holy Spirit is the down payment of our inheritance until the redemption of the possession. All of this, here it is in the last phrase. It says to the praise of His glory. There's a purpose in this. He did all this so our lives would bring praise to His glory. He just didn't do it so we would feel secure. That's not the only reason He did it. He didn't just do all of this so he wouldn't feel guilty anymore, or so that we so were able to face hardships. The great purpose of all of this is so that we would be transformed into the image of Christ. So we would live our lives as new creations in Christ, with our hearts full of God's love. See, it's a work of grace. The gospel work of transforming rebels like me, arrogant people like me. God has changed me. That's no longer who I am. See, this beautiful work of new life. This, new, this beautiful work of bringing us into, uh, as new creations, into the presence of God, it brings praise to His glory. And so you don't bring praise to the glory of God by being a super busy Christian, got your finger on this and you're involved in that, I'm signing up to every missions trip I could possibly go on. That's not what the Apostle Paul is saying. That's, that's not going to do it here. This is the end of one sentence. He's saying all of this as a child of God, as a kingdom kid, your identities in Christ, you are changed from the inside out. You're changed. You're different. Who you are, how you are, is affected and changed by whose you are. You're a new creation in Christ. Your life now, everything about your life, the aroma you bring into whatever it is you're doing brings praise to the glory of God for all that He has done. That is the great purpose of all of this. So we'd be transformed into the image of Christ. We wouldn't be insecure approval seekers, it's a work of grace. Now, this is the good work that the Lord has begun in you, Christian. This is the the good work that is at work in you, Christian. The Holy Spirit is in you. That is the goal. That is the purpose of everything. God is inviting you today deeper into intimacy with Him. Deeper into His presence. And what I mean by that, He's inviting you to shut out those other voices. He's inviting you to to, to just put on hold. Let those conversations end. Be still. Be still. Dom, a couple weeks ago, mentioned going somewhere and trying to hear from God and, and hear the heartbeat of God, the rhythm of God. And it took him days to let those storylines kind of fade out, to let those words kind of taper off. For you, it might be minutes. It might be hours. It might be days. But let's Let's be still. Let's come to a place in our life where we're like, you know what, I recognize that culture is like this choir around me, singing these voices, even in harmony, painting a picture of who I'm supposed to be. And guys, we need to like just hit the e-brake on that. Maybe double e-brake, just... And be still, be still. You gonna invite the worship team to come up now? And so the encouragement is today, let the Holy Spirit... Speak louder than the other voices you listen to. Let the Spirit speak louder than pride, than selfishness. Let the Holy Spirit speak louder than insecurity. Let the Holy Spirit speak louder than anxiety and shame. Let the Lord speak a truer word over you than those that have been spoken to you or against you. If you're in Christ, the Holy Spirit is in you. The Holy Spirit is, is your experience of this reality. Come and be still before God. God is inviting you in like a father up onto his lap. Let him shower you with the love and approval and acceptance that you long for. And if you don't know Jesus, yeah, maybe, maybe today's the day. This is, a, this is a good day to be still and ask God to reveal himself. Ask God to be real to you. Just test, test these things. Maybe today's the day that you'll bow your knee. The Bible says there's coming a day when everything in creation is going to bow their knee before God and declare that Jesus is Lord of everything. Maybe, you, maybe you're going to get a head start on that. Maybe you're going to do that today. Maybe your faith, you're going to have a faith that brings you to the place of salvation today. You know, the Father has love for you today. The Father has approval and acceptance The Father has forgiveness for you today. The Father wants to take that identity of of, of shame, disappointment, or disappointing. He wants to take that identity of arrogant. He wants to take that identity of maybe identify with what you've done as a specific thing. God wants to say, no, that is not who you are. And he wants to speak a truer word over you. And that word today is son or daughter. That's the relationship we're invited into. God is saying, be still and know that I'm God enter into my house. And that happens as we put our faith in Jesus Christ. The one who stood holy. The one who chose to take my sin upon himself and then go to the cross, paying the full penalty for our sin. The penalty that I should have paid, Jesus paid for me. So I'm now set free and forgiven of my sin. and And I'm able to be in the presence of a holy God. Furthermore, I'm made holy by that holy God through the work of His Holy Spirit in me. If you feel like today is the day that God's inviting you in to that storyline, the reality of all of history, God's saying, Come in, welcome. There's people, people going to be up here on the right and the left. I'd love to talk to you, pray with you, answer questions for you. Regardless of where you're at with God, let's sit and be still. Let's be still and know that our Father's God. Let's give the Holy Spirit room to speak and move on our hearts today.